Hola, Mateo. Hola, Michael. Hola, Diego. No, that's Jimmy. Miguel! Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah! All right, let's do it. Welcome to Hacking the Grepson, everybody, um, for our uh, shenaniganery. Uh, I think this is episode 16? Yeah. Uh, about documentation. We've hit the second digit uh, in hex. Oh yeah. Um, so, I figured what we would do uh, today is talk about, not code, but uh, basically metacode, where you write down stuff about the code so that other people, ostensibly, can understand how it works. And there's a few different ways that you can go about documenting your code, uh, and I'm going to let Matt read those, oh. not from a board, and then go over them, and then we'll talk. I'll read my documentation about documentation. Yes. All right. So sort of the, the like, five different types of documenting styles that we identified very quickly before diving into this podcast were external documentation, which is what we mean by that is the documentation that you would write or someone would write that is intended to be read by people outside of your organization, mm -hmm. right? So your customers, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, internal documentation, which would tend to be documentation that you would write uh, for people inside of your company or other people who are going to use the your library that, you know, that work with you that could just go ask you a question. Mm -hmm. uh, comments, the documentation inside of your code. Self-documenting code, which is really just organizing and naming your variables, functions, classes in such a way that it's intuitively obvious what the code does, how it works, etc. And then nothing. Doing just the that. code. Just the code. It's garbage. You have to figure it out yourself. What was the thing you said before? If it's hard to write, it should be hard to read. Yeah. If someone ever says that to you, don't hire them. Punch and them if, in the mouth. And no, if they already work for you, fire them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is a saying which uh, is from some misguided elitism about, oh, being a programmer is hard. And so I'm going to, you know, only very smart people should be able to read my code. And I'm like, no, because... Code, at least on the high levels that we're writing it, like in JavaScript or C or whatever, uh, is for humans to read. Yes. Uh, zeros and ones are for computers to read because no matter what you put in your text editor, in the end, it's going to be a zero or a one, and that's what computers read. So, um, so I so I think all of the the different ways that you talked about documentation are important for yeah. different ways. Uh, Except for nothing. Nothing is not important. Don't do that. Yeah. Do do one of the other four. Uh, avoid. Avoid nothing. Uh, so external documentation. Um, you said that's basically like the kind of stuff that you would write for, uh, say, like an end user yeah. of like your application. Your user manual type thing. Right. Here is how you right. run the program. Here's the settings. Here's right. how to change things. Yeah. Typically, I would view that as as writing the documentation kind of at like the black box level. Yeah. Right? You can't see inside of it. You, you don't care. If, when you pick up a copy of Microsoft Word... Right. Any documentation around that's not saying the way we wrote Microsoft Word is, right. you know, it uses this class behind the scenes and there's this. No, you don't care about what the file format is right. in general. You double click on the icon, right. you go file new. It, it does a thing. It's like how it works. Right. How you use it. Right. Yeah. And strictly externally. Right. How and, your customers. And, and honestly, like if you're just starting out programming, like that's not something that you're even going to worry about yeah. in, in your first few programs. That's something you might worry about if you have a job 
where you're making some kind of software that, you know, a yeah. client might use. And uh, honestly, in general, everywhere I've worked uh, of any size, mm-hmm. uh, like a, any sizable organization, has hired tech writers mm-hmm. whose job it is explicitly to write that kind of thing. Because it's not easy. No. You think, like, I know how to write words. <laughs> I'll put and, this word in this word. And maybe do. But you know who's terrible at writing that kind of stuff is engineers. Yeah. And, and, and if you are good at both, then... Be a tech writer. You suck. I hate you. <laughs> uh, no. Um, yeah, no. You know, writing code and then writing words about that code that people who don't code can understand yeah. is a skill. Like, I actually have a decent amount of skill in that area, but it is painfully difficult for me to write. Like, I am competent at it, mm-hmm. but it is not something that I am natively skilled at. And I'm... Right pretty good with the written word mm-hmm. but it's it's hard to yeah. do that you have to put yourself in the customer's shoes not the engineer's shoes right. you have to give enough context to them so that they understand what to do but not so much that it's overwhelming mm-hmm. examples formatting all the crap i don't want to deal with right so now that we've gone over something that you probably will not touch you know in the very beginning of your programming career we got internal documentation uh, I think a good example of this is uh, there's a suite of products by Atlassian, and their documentation program is Confluence, and that's what we use at, at, at my job. And these are documents that are used by your team to talk about how internally your programs work. So, uh, you know, you might make... Uh, so Sort of like if you're working on a website, you may have a, oh, here's the framework, and here's how... Uh, you know, the individual parts of that framework work. Here's like uh, how plugins slash modules work. Here's how the theme works. You know, if you need to update the website, here's how that works. Yeah. So it's still... Developer documents. Yeah, developer yeah. documents. It's it's still high level. It's not code. It's still writing about the code, but it is writing about code with other people who understand and are, are right. working on that code. Yeah, it's your, that, that's your target audience. In that yeah. Case. yeah, really the... Internal documentation comments and self-documenting code are all aimed at more or less the same type of person, which is another person who's going to work on this code Mm -hmm. uh, potentially, right? Yeah. Uh, I think a big thing that would happen in internal documentation that you typically wouldn't see in any of the other ones is design, right? The actual, Mm -hmm. like, what, you know, here's my component and here's how it works internally. Here's the different classes that make it up or whatever. And then here's how it interfaces with all of the other components in the system. Mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. Those kind of diagrams typically are things that are hard to do in comments and self-documented code, if not impossible. Right. Uh, whereas internal documentation, like that, that's the right place for that kind of thing. Yeah. Like uh, we have a lot of uh, mock-ups and wireframes mm. and stuff like that where we're just figuring out how should this particular part of the website look, uh, you know, done in like something like Sketch. And then the, the developers would take that and say, okay, well, what framework are we using? What theme are we using? How does that turn into code, essentially? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's definitely something that I do work on a fair amount. Uh, I try to keep our internal documentation uh, as up-to-date as possible. That's one thing you'll find with that kind of documentation is that it never moves at the same speed as code. Right. And so there's usually a disconnect between the two, which, so it, you know, you, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to get it as close as to what is actually in production as you can, but it, it takes a lot of, um, stick-to-itiveness to keep that in sync. Yeah. Something I have found over my many years of being a software developer that has been very helpful there is not not 
in keeping it up to date, but in helping other people know that it might be out of date, mm. is simply just putting a date of last updated yes. in the, in with the documentation is tremendously helpful. If you look at something, you're like, this hasn't been touched in three years. There's a good chance that's out of date, especially if you go look at the code and it's been changed more recently. Mm -hmm. At least then you know who wrote it, when they changed it, and if they're still with the company, you can go ask them. And if not, at least you have a jumping off point. No, okay, this is not going to be accurate, but this is what it looked like three years ago. Right. Maybe it can decipher how this code works from you, that. You, you get a gist, if not you yeah. know, the details. Yeah. yeah, Confluence is a really good tool for that. I've used that. Uh, the other thing I've used a lot of that I would, I would put in this category is like Markdown. So like mm. readmes, um, really any of those kind of things. The Internally, what we use at my job is there's like half of it's Confluence and then the other half is documentation that's generated from Markdown. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, one thing I'm very familiar with is when you go on GitHub and you're looking for a project that you might want to use, uh, on the homepage of any project is generally the readme of that uh, project. Yeah. And so that readme is really like the way you're selling, hey, here's what my project's about, here's roughly how it works, here's why you might be interested right. in it. So, And if you need, and if it's open source, then it's going to go into something like, you know, here, hopefully it'll go into like, here's how you contribute. And right. here's, here's the structure that we used for laying, you know, for where all the files are. And here's why we did this. Right. And here, here's why you might want to use it. Yeah. And here's if it's passing all its tests or not. Yeah. Um, why is a huge reason behind documentation. Really, the number one reason to have a document is not what it does or how it does it, but why it does it that way. Because mm -hmm. those first two things, you can go look at the code mm -hmm. with enough time. You can look at the code or run the program and figure out what it does and how it does it. Yeah. But neither of those are going to tell you why they did it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to use this sorting algorithm instead of that sorting algorithm. Why is this word, why is Microsoft Word now using XML as its uh, file format, mm -hmm. right? Why is not, is one of those things that is most important to document, in my opinion. So it's sort of like the marketing strategy of that, pro especially if it's an open source project that you're trying to get, you know, visibility. Mm, yes, but I was thinking more along the lines of if someone else goes to, look at my code mm. and they open up a, a function and they're like, Oh, Matt did something really inefficient here. Mm -hmm. That's dumb. I'm going to replace it with this, in, with this efficient thing. And then something somewhere else just magically breaks. Mm -hmm. That means that I should have documented that mm -hmm. because there was a reason that I chose this way. I default to assuming that people had a good reason for doing things. Mm -hmm. I'd say nine times out of 10. No, they didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just the way they did it. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I start that way. Other people start from the assumption that everyone else is an idiot and they'll just, oh, this is wrong and they'll trash right. it and then they'll find, and then they'll, they'll have to deal with the consequences. Right. So that's where the why is so important. And right. that leads us into comments. It does. Comments. Okay, we finally got into the code. So far we've been like meta coding and now we're actually, you're in the code, yeah. you've written a function, you've written a variable, whatever, you've written a class. Okay. Uh, and if you can't decipher either from the name of the function, where it is in the flow of the, the code, putting a comment in there somewhere is incredibly helpful for someone reading through your code to understand why that statement is there and, you know, what it's doing and how does it interact with the rest of the system. And why did you do it that way? Why did yeah. you do it that way, you know? And and that's a great place to put uh, when you're working on your own projects, uh, you know, to do or fix yes. me, 
because you know maybe you just need to stub something out which is basically just creating like the skeleton of something before you yeah. actually fill in yeah the here's the interface but it doesn't it always returns false right right, right. and i'll put you know i'll make a yeah. for it a way to return true yeah. someday if there is a, a single word that i've written more as a comment than any other it's to do yeah all caps to do highlights it in my in my editor and i can find it and i i use that all the time because because if we haven't said it before programming is an iterative process yes. like you want to try to get that minimum vi viable product and then iterate and make it better and better and while you're doing that you're going to have instances where you just put something in to get it done and then you come back and you make it better or you fill in the content and so that's where comments in your code are crucial yeah. so there's a couple of different types of of commented code right hmm. i think the the ones you and i have been talking about here are more like inline comments explaining what it does for uh, the developers who are reading the actual source code. Mm -hmm. The other kind of comments that can go into your code, though, is something like Java Docs, right? Where you actually mm. comment and it and it it is used, and then a tool can read can parse that file and generate something that would be like an internal documentation mm -hmm. to like define the API and like here's right. what the parameters are, and it's it's a way of taking that code and or taking the code and turning it into documentation. Yeah. I personally do not like that. Like it as a, even though it seems more efficient, I find that to not, uh, I don't find that useful when I'm looking at the code. It's uh, a duplication of information that's already there. Mm -hmm. uh, I would rather just inline the comments with the variables like, or better, and we'll get to this on the next thing, name the variable in a way where it's obvious what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I generally don't like the Java doc style approach, but it's very popular. And I think that's because that's the probably the easiest way to keep your documentation in sync with your code. Because right. it's really obvious when they don't line up because they're right there. Right. I would prefer something to parse my code and figure that stuff out on its own rather mm -hmm. than having a block of code that says, here's what this function is immediately followed by the function that is that thing right and 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 as you were saying the next thing we want to talk about which would more or less invalidate the need for that is self-documenting code now matt what is self-documenting code so the idea behind self-documenting code and i will say that a, a vast majority <laughs> of the people i know who have uh purported to write self-documenting code didn't didn't mm -hmm. uh their code was awful and was not self-documenting at all but the intention is the code should be written in such a way it's basically the opposite of it was hard to write or it was hard to write so it should be hard to read it's it's easy to read right mm -hmm. you look at this code and it is so intuitively obvious how it works how it's organized the classes are named in such a way that you unambiguously right when you look at it you know exactly what this thing is for how you would use it why you would use it the method names are obvious and logical mm -hmm. the variable names are uh you've, you're using the right kind of types object-oriented programming is probably the 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 methodology i've seen that most lends itself to self-documenting code mm -hmm. because it so encourages encapsulation and having like functional completeness. So you're like, here is my class. It does this one thing. I've named this class the thing that it does. And its methods are explicitly about that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I I didn't name my database something like Floop. 
I named it database, mm-hmm. right? It's obvious, like data store. And even better, it would say what kind of data, like what is it storing in there, right? Mm-hmm. This data store is for uh, the employees, mm-hmm. right? It's an employee data store, not data store one. Right. <laughs> or data, data floop. Yeah, data floop. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I think one of the first times that I came across uh, that methodology of, of self-documenting code is when I first jumped into, um, it was either Cake PHP, which was essentially a framework around PHP for making websites, but more popularly was Ruby on Rails. And they definitely had a, a an ethos of naming everything something that makes sense, like you said, database, yeah. not floop. And and so 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 every Ruby on Rails app that you looked at, no matter who made it, always started with this skeleton of code that made sense based on what it was called. And so I was like, that's yeah. that's smart. We should do that. They also tended to follow or tend to follow because people are still using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tended to follow. Um, the same structure. The code would be organized right. in yes. such a way because you generated that from a template that right. that's not skeleton. Scaffolding. Scaffolding, yes. Right. It generates the scaffolding mm-hmm. for everything else that you write. And so you're like, okay, the front end part goes here. The data right. stuff goes over here. Right. You know? Yeah, you've got your model, your view, and your controller, right. basically, yeah. right? Yeah, that yeah. And then but but Ruby, because it's an like everything's an object, I think lends itself more to that than some of the other programming languages. Yeah. Uh, you know, when 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 you're when you're building multiples of one kind of thing, it's really nice to have that scaffolding or that like create new of this project, and so everybody starts at the same level. Now, I know we talked in the past though that I forget whether you were you liked or didn't like the the fact that that you know especially oh when we were using uh, IDEs versus text editors, that IDEs like really tried to force you into making your program in a certain way with things in a certain you know, uh, scaffolding. Yeah. So how does that relate to this? So I don't mind that it forces you into something. I don't like what, I don't like the way it forces you into it. It, In general, something like, it's more that it encourages, uh, like if you look at IDEs written around Java, right? Mm -hmm. They encourage that weird com slash my company slash Mm -hmm. thing slash, you know, like you're super nested file wise. For somebody that likes to operate from the command line, that sucks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to use that. Mm-hmm. Um, the IDE abstracts that away from you, and it's it's nice, but it kind of forces you to use an IDE. I don't like that, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Ruby on Rails, it gives you a very... It's not a flat structure, but it's not deeply nested. That's right? a good point, yeah. And, then, and so it's still very easily, easily navigable from the command line. Yeah. And that's important to me. Yeah, and and the the projects that we've done in Symphony are similar. They have a similar like scaffolding. Uh, Angular has a sim. Uh, yeah, a lot of basically, and I'm assuming like Vue and React, React yeah. all have that like create new project command yeah. that creates this code that makes sense right away. So yeah. you don't have to worry about naming your you know your request function floop. Yeah. It, it will be named properly. And and as I've I've mentioned multiple times, I'm sure on this podcast, I like code that writes code. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is a personal favorite thing of mine. Mm-hmm. I've been writing it as long as I can remember in this industry. Uh, I've been writing code that writes code. Yeah, scaffolding and that kind of thing. Generation generators are great. Yeah, in my opinion. So okay, we got we can do a couple more minutes probably. Uh, so, do we touch uh, on nothing? 
No, don't touch. <laughs> don't touch nothing. Okay. Um, touch not. Touch everything. Do no. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll <laughs> touch, cut that. Touch out, something. <laughs> um, all right. So what I want to do is talk about what, like my style, mm, mm-hmm. where I where I struggle, and then have you do the same. All right, let's do it. Okay. Go for it. So I, in general, if it wasn't obvious from this conversation already. Aim for self-documenting code. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like writing documentation of any sort. I find it difficult mm-hmm. to do because it's not interesting. Um, mm. and Seeing a theme here. Yeah. yeah. Go back to the previous episode <laughs> and find out more about that. Um, and going back to the problem you mentioned earlier, it's hard to keep up to date. Yeah. So I like my code to be intuitive. Mm-hmm. Right. That means that it's structured in such a way where it's easy to find things. I this, this is why I like uh, microservices, for example. They they do one thing. You go in. Here's my readme. It's about the extent of of the code that's not and and it's in the repo. Right. It's about the extent of the code that's not self documenting or a comment. It's you a very Unix there. mindset. It you know, is the one app does one thing right. well. Well, I was a Unix sys administrator yeah, for a couple well, years, so that's probably why. Yeah. Right. I like my classes to do the same thing. I like my methods to be very obviously named. I like to stick to conventions. Right. Like if you're using REST, that is that follows a, a RESTful style APIs that follows a very simple convention CRUD. Right. Create, read, update, delete. Mm-hmm. They follow a very straightforward pattern on that with gets and posts and patches and all that. So all the code that I write, if I if I can uh, aim towards self-documenting, I do. And then the only things I really put as comments in those code is either a reference to something. If I'm like, in order to understand this you and you need more context, here's the context, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. Or a link to, like, the architecture, if I can. Or more often than not, it's the why. Why did I do... Why did I choose bubble sort instead of quick sort here? Mm-hmm. Well, because... You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or the or those those always wonderful comments that you'll run into in code uh, if you've been working in a a large enough code base that's been around for long enough. Don't touch this block of code. We don't know why it works, but it does. Just leave it alone. Yeah. No matter how much code humans write, that will keep happening yeah. because it is sufficiently sophisticated. Yeah. And then my internal documentation, I try to stick to markup documents or markdown language in the repository. So my readmes, and if I can, then I pull in something like Mermaid or Plant UML or one of those things where it can generate diagrams from text. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way it can all just live in my repository together and generate, if you need to, into a, into you can import it into Confluence or look at it on a manuals page or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I don't write external documentation. I, I always hope for a tech writer to do that for me. Uh, well, I think my experience is pretty similar. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I've ever written external documentation. I've never worked or personally done anything that was big enough or complicated enough that that was needed. But uh, plenty of internal documentation, as I said, Confluence documents, uh, Google Docs. Um, you know, generally it'll be like someone will say, hey, uh, how does this part of our something work and and I'll you know draft up a document that you know explains it in kind of non-engineer speak uh, you know just so you know you get the gist over the overview of it um, comments uh, we're probably different in that I I over comment mm. I definitely comment a lot wh- whether it's on my own stuff or something for a job um, I think it's not really for other people it's for me 
I when lo- you have to revisit it. Yeah, really? when I have yeah. to revisit it, and I'm like, I, what is? I mean, I obviously try to write self-documenting code. I try. I, I, I'm a hundred percent agreement that I want to name my variables not floop but database because, you know, uh, I'm not. You know, I'm 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 not some you know artsy coder that's just trying to you know make something, uh, in um, intentionally undecipherable for fun. Yeah. You know, like I do want to be able to understand this. I you know I put most of my personal stuff on GitHub. I want someone else to understand it. I don't want it to be. You know, I want to make it easy for people and myself because uh, you know your your hardest customer is like you a year later looking yes. at your old code. Um, Honestly, I think that's probably like if we're talking about documentation like tips that's probably the most important thing is assume that you will not look at this code for a year and then come back to it what would you need in order to make you've forgotten everything about it what would you need to jump in again yeah um uh i I was going to ask you how do you feel about code folding do you fold your code i do not fold oh okay well that that is somewhere where we definitely differ My, my my coworkers are just like you i love like VS Code's ability to fold code because as a file gets longer, and this may be an issue with the way I write code versus the way you write code, is that I often start off with, um, you know, a single file that just balloons into too many functions until I start refactoring it into other ones. That generally is what happens when I start my own projects by myself, which is why I almost need frameworks and scaffolding so that I don't do that because... I just want to get in and start writing code. I'm definitely not a spend a lot of time designing it before I go. I just want to like start doing it and see cool stuff. And so the problem with that though is that I just get like these long, I mean, I don't want to use the dreaded spaghetti word, but I definitely am more spaghetti than I should be. And so I have to comment stuff because I have to understand how it works. I I would say that is exactly what you said. It is a symptom of the way you're writing the code. I, if, uh, if a function gets too long, I break it up into multiple functions. If a class gets too big, I break it up into multiple classes. If a file gets too big, I break it up into multiple files. Yeah. Refactoring is your friend. Because I start the same way. And I start writing stuff in one big file, and then I start breaking things out. I'll put multiple classes in a file while I'm trying to figure stuff out. I will not leave it that way in, in, in production. It always gets broken out. Because then I can find things. And now, since you've been learning JavaScript recently, like, do you find it as easy to do that? Or do you, do you avoid no, it's, that? No, it's a horrible pain. TypeScript, right. not too bad. Right. Uh, JavaScript, true. awful. So, 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 you, so you just can't program the way you want to because of that? Yes. Okay. See, that's what I've been doing a lot. It, I, I've done tons of JavaScript, and so I think I've been molded incorrectly by the way javascript is and so it affects the way that i write my own code it's one of my problems with javascript as a language because so many people use it first yeah it teaches you a lot of bad habits yeah it does which is people hate on python's whole indenting Mm -hmm. thing and like white space matters but one thing it teaches you is Making sure that you properly indent your your code, making sure that you're very clear about where your blocks are. Yeah, it kind of forces you into that. It's a much more readable programming language than a lot of them are. Yeah. So anyway, that that's been my experience. Uh, I, I think where I need to uh, improve is when I start like a web project. I need to do more thinking about the design and how it's going to look in the end rather than just, putting boots on the ground, which is what I want to do because that's what I like the most out of it. Or just... Or I could do nothing. Or learn, learn to enjoy refactoring your code. I love refactoring Refactoring code. is fun, yeah. But also, I like, you know, 
refactoring is one of those issues with trying to make it elegant is that I do too much of that in the middle of the project yeah. when I really should finish it before I do that. Yes. That is the finishing step in yeah. a perfect world, right? You yeah. write your code, it all works, you got all your tests. And then you and just then make you, it pretty. And then you clean it up yeah. and add all your documentation, but in a fun way. Exactly. So, uh, so I, I think that about covers uh, the ways one can document. I'm sure there's other ways to document your code, and, and you know, but, but in general, this covers the, the main one. So any parting thoughts on... Nope. Uh, just comment your code. Be kind to your future. In some way. Be kind to your future self. Wise words. Uh, well, that wraps up this episode of Hacking the Grepson. Thank you for uh, listening. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives, already in progress. Bye.